0: So, Wizards podcast. I'm Kevin Broomall, my co-host, oaks Cunningham, and today we are joined with Mark Schindler, who is one of the like really good writers out there. He's he's one of those people when he writes something, um, I read it like immediately because I always learn something. Him and uh, Caitlin Cooper are from, you know both of them write about the Pacers quite a bit. Mark writes a lot of stuff about a lot of different players. And uh, he's also written recently about one of my favorite players, G League superstar, and maybe future NBA superstar, Terry Taylor. So, uh, Mark, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, I appreciate the intro, man. And uh, we can only hope with Terry. Uh, He has not been playing as much recently, even though he's been playing well, which is really frustrating. But, um, you know, that's another conversation. But I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm a longtime listener, first time getting to talk with you guys. I'm excited about it.
0: Hey um i've been on your pod a couple times and the, the conversations are great and uh
1: yeah i mean you're somebody who really
0: knows the league knows the game and so i appreciate the opportunity to talk and ron none of this is like a shade at you this is just uh
2: yeah no, i'm, a, fan, I'm huh? a Kobe fan man i don't get <laughs> like what <laughs>
0: So um, let's dive into this. Um, we wanted to hit on a few things today. Um, the Wizards and Pacers have a matchup coming on Sunday. Um, this is, you know, basically like the, the 23rd ranked team in the league versus the 24th ranked team in the league. Throw your flip a coin for which is which. Um, neither team is very much good. So, um, <clears throat> but the Pacers do have, like I said, the distinction of one, they've got Terry Taylor, who's you know, G League superstar, one of my favorite players. And cause he's just so weird. And um, Tyrese Halliburton is another one of my favorites and uh, both there on the Pacers. So uh, Mark, you wrote about Terry recently. So just give us a, like uh, for people who haven't seen him play, which would be most people uh, (laughs) give us a quick scouting report on him, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. Well, I only really came on to him before Indiana, like just a little bit beforehand because he was like a dominant college player, but he played at a mid-major school, Austin P in, uh, I think it's Ohio Valley conference. Um, And then I saw him a little bit at summer league, but I mean, I mean, you know how it is sometimes if you're at an in-person game, like you're more there to talk to people. It's not as much like actually seeing some stuff, especially at summer league. Um, so like I kept seeing the box scores, you and my friend Dakota Schmidt who covers the G league kept telling me like once a week that I need to watch Terry Taylor. And then finally he played for the Pacers and he put up like, he put up like 19 and 15, his first game. Um, and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Um, the best way to put it, he's like, um, He's about six foot five, but he plays like just a straight up power forward from the nineteen nineties with actual like passing vision. Like, it's uh, it's kind of awesome to watch. Like, he's the best screener on the team at six five. Like, that's not even like that's that's being completely honest. Part of that is uh because of who else is not screening on the team, but um, he's one of the most. He's one of the best finishers in the NBA. I think he's shooting around like seventy one percent on pick and roll finishes, which is like second best in the NBA um among qualifiers it's like he's been he's been ridiculous like he does pretty much everything except for shoot and uh he's just a really fun all-around player sometimes Rick Carlisle doesn't seem to notice that but you know we're uh we're we're trying to make it happen
0: yeah he's he's an interesting player because like you say he's about the size of a shooting guard and Mm -hmm. he plays power forward I mean the Pacers started him at center one game because they had so many people injured and <clears throat> he doesn't really have like traditional guard skills although he does pass like a guard he can't handle a little um you know he's not like he's not gonna like cross you over he's not gonna do a sham god or anything but he's he's competent handling ball competent passer terrific rebounder he's really strong and he's got this great lateral agility um he does not leap particularly well but he's so crafty that he, he just finishes well and it's just I think that he's the kind of player who gives coaches a hard time. I mean, his own coaches because they don't really know quite how to use him because he doesn't fit the mold, right? You know, the power forward is supposed to be like six ten, right? You know, Kyle Kuzma looks like a power forward. Kerry Taylor doesn't, and uh, it's it's a little weird for for the coaches to try to figure out how to use him.
2: You know, can he play defense?
1: Yeah, no, he can play defense. I will say, like, I mean, the entire Pacers team plays shit defense but he plays uh, uh, uh at least uh like aggressively neutral defense compared to what the rest of the team looks like
2: so he uh he kind of owes montrez harold uh his career sounds like he's going on to like montrez uh like montrez father him if you will like the hustler undersized see like all of these players because we we pigeonhole them into roles they repeat it's just like how do you modernize it from you all uh, take on him sounds like he can pass. Montrez doesn't know what pass means. Um, so yeah, I, I might have to watch him some more. But you know, the Pacers—they don't win games. So I, I always not—they are
1: not an exciting team to watch this year. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can promise you that after watching every game this year, it's, like I like
2: yeah. Reese, but I, it's like you know when he cooked the Wizards uh, a couple weeks back. It's like okay, I respect that performance because you know it wasn't a tank job or or. A blowout loss where you know you played well individually, but you didn't really impact the winning. So, um, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I, I like those guys who you know pigeonholed into a role and they they overperform and you know do their thing. But yeah, tell him he owes Montrez Harrell like 10%. I'll
1: let him know. <laughs>
0: his, his, his salary right now is very low, so I don't know if he,
1: can. yeah, he's on a two way deal still. Like, he yeah, hasn't had was, his deal guaranteed yet.
2: Montrez was broke when he came in. That's why he's like, you know, that's why he's punching players over here in Washington. They're all trying to get paid. He yeah. keeps going. I, it, it'll look good for him. Yeah. keeps going. So that leads
0: me to, to another question, though, and that is about like how Tyrese Halliburton has changed the, the Pacers. Um, from, from what I can tell, it looks like uh, Rick Carlisle has sort of taken the hobbles off the team a little bit. It's letting him push the fast break a little bit, or is that just like what Halliburton does?
1: Um. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, It's kind of funny because Rick has uh, become a little bit self-aware and uh, like has repeatedly gone on and on about how, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and Tyrese Albert are just really smart players. He can let them do what he does, but he's very clearly calling plays in game. Like, um, and it also does not work very well, just given where it's at right now. Like Tyrese really thrives, like you mentioned, pushing the ball in transition. We saw more of that before the all-star break, before, Um, things started to, you know, Rick did start to kind of reel things in a little bit more. Um, but it like, I mean, especially, I mean, they got their brains bashed in by the Orlando magic, two straight games. Like yesterday it was almost, um, like it was almost a blow and then they somehow took it to overtime. I've uh, that. I still don't know how to dissect that game. That was weird, but like Wendell Carter jr. made. I think he had like 40 rebounds combined in the two games. And that was like a very good descriptor of what happened, um, the the Magic have like they're they're a better defense than I think their defensive rating shows because their bench is just so bad. But their starting unit has a lot of length. They're pretty athletic. Um, the Pacers have like absolutely nothing to get onto the interior, and I think you saw that as an issue, especially once they started to do more of play calling. Like when you when you when you start to negate some of the advantages you have by going fast, especially with Tyrese is like a pretty new on ball on ball guy like they really struggled to create anything in the half court that was good. So um, definitely something to look out for. I know Washington's defense hasn't exactly, exactly been uh, much to write home about recently, so I'm not too worried about that. But, um, yeah, I can't bog down in the half court right now.
0: So yeah, Washington well, uh, defense will be a good place for the Pacers to yeah. get uh, <laughs> offensively.
2: <laughs> yeah. Terry might drop – did he have 20 against us? I know he came on late because – Terry uh,
0: in that game? Uh, Tyrese or Terry? First Terry. Yeah, Terry Taylor had no points in the first half, and I was actually kind of disappointed because I was expecting a big game, and then he scored 18 in the second half.
1: Yeah, Yeah. he had that dunk on um, Koos that they almost didn't count because it came back through the rim. But, yeah, that was awesome.
0: I've seen that maybe – I mean, I've been watching the NBA since 1978, and I think I've seen that maybe two or three times where a guy dunks and bounces it off the head of of an opposing player.
1: It was awesome, man. I think that's literally like his only dunk the last like month so it's pretty dope to see yeah
2: Yeah. sounds like you all need miles turner maybe he wasn't piping at the bits
1: yeah no they uh it's tough because i i thought he was gonna be back already um i don't know what i mean i don't i don't want to say that they're it's straight out tanking because they have done a lot of things that are like trying to win still but it it feels like maybe it's getting pushed out a little bit um but they miss him for sure like the center rotation is, is bad right now. Or I should just say the front court rotation, like in terms of actual potential, it's cool. Like Isaiah Jackson, really intriguing guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Jalen Smith has, has, has shown good flashes, but his box score is way more than he's actually doing on court. Um, I, I think I wrote down, I was watching back one of the games right now and I wrote down in my notes, the, the combined strength of the Pacers front court is zero. Like they get absolutely pushed around by anybody. Like, Gogo Bittaze has looked absolutely lost. Um, I, I don't want to talk about him. He's just in a very r- rough way right now. But um Miles would solidify a lot of things for them on on especially on defense. But they are, yeah, they're they look very much like a like a like a baby deer with most of the
2: uh most of the front court options right now.
0: They don't go with Terry Taylor. What is wrong with these
1: people?
2: Yeah. Oh, it's Carl out like. He, uh, and I want, I want your opinion on Carlisle, Mark, because you all changed coaches recently. So mm-hmm. that we, um, I'm, my bias, I'm not a fan. I was a big fan of Roddy Bobois. And I'm, I'm so happy that he ultimately won championship with two of my favorite players, Dirk and Kidd. But uh, I really feel like Carlisle ruined Roddy Bourbon's, uh career because of his, uh, I don't know, whatever you call it, his method of doing things. So, um, but I, I'll I'll toss it back to you like how, how do you all like like him
1: yeah um, I've been so it's funny because I think most people in Indiana really like him I've been pretty lukewarm um, I think uh, and not I'm like I mean he's obviously a great coach Um, he's done a lot of great things but um, I think it was Tim McMahon had the article just about how he handled things from an interpersonal standpoint and that stuff doesn't sit right with me like not to go on a rant on your pod but like I don't know. It really bothers me that we can see all this stuff about him, like literally like creating the most toxic work environment possible. And everybody's like, Oh, well it could be a lot worse. I'm like, but that's the problem, man. Like we let that kind of shit go on because it could be worse. I'm like, well, I don't know. Like to me, like that's the kind of shit. Like he's the president of the, the fucking coaches association, like doing this kind of shit. And like, um, so I, I don't really like that. Um, I, I already had hesitations about that coming in and he's, uh, like, I don't know he's he's very clearly got a much bigger role than just a coach for the Pacers and he doesn't let on about it but it's like I mean in everything they do um in the way that he talks about things it's pretty clear um so it's just he he's kind of uh he's he's very good at what he does he's very charismatic to the people who who don't see him every five seconds um so I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: He, he is a, a world-class jerk. And I say, this as somebody who actually likes him. I mean, years ago, years ago, hundred years ago, it feels like uh, when he was with, he was coaching the Detroit Pistons. And I remember I asked him a question. He was uh, in DC for a Wizards game. And I asked him a question about why Richard Hamilton had been a poor defender in Washington. But when he went to Detroit, he became a good defender.
1: I got to pause. I think you're the only person I've ever say call him by his actual name, not call him Rip.
0: <laughs> well, I, I knew him as Richard, so yeah. I didn't call him Rip. But anyway, so uh, Rip, anyway, he, he um, so Carlisle answered the question. This was pregame and I caught him like right at the end of the little pregame scrum, you know, and uh, we talked for about 20 minutes out there in the hall. And then he asked me to come back to the locker room after the game. So I did, and we talked for another, you know, 45 minutes, an hour or so, Um, and it was a lot of, like, schematic stuff about what the force rules are. He had to explain to me, like, what force rules were, because I didn't really know what they were at the time, that kind of stuff. And it was just, like, this, like, great education on NBA defense that I got from him, and it was wonderful. And I, I remember thinking at the time, like, you know, probably halfway through, and I'm thinking, like, this guy is supposed to be a jerk, you know, like, everybody hates him. And, uh, and then I read Tim McMahon's article and I understand like why people hate him, right? And so with me, he was great for whatever reason. Maybe he just felt like talking about defense that day, but it was, and he had hair back then. Uh, you know, Ron's got a theory about bald guys.
1: They're angry. <laughs> I, I believe that, man. I, I, I mean, I can't say I've ever seen a happy bald guy, so.
2: Yeah, like so. 85% of them are angry. But <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe... Or a uh, conspiracy. He was dumped on by like a springy guard before, you know, when he played. Maybe someone. We have to go back to through the NBA hardwood classics to see him getting banged on in the in the Garden because he hated nice Dennis school. Smith Jr.
0: Could have been at UVA when he was at UVA, kind of getting
2: getting banged on. Or okay. Like also, oh, he went to undergrad at UVA. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I knew him from like the Celtics. It was like, well, at least Carlisle played. You know, you know, he's. He's played. He's, he's a good, good basketball player. But yeah, he hated Roddy Bois. Probably would have dunked on him. Um, he hated Dennis Smith Jr. Definitely would have dunked on him. Uh, yeah, Terry. I will say
0: from that one conversation that I had with him, well, two conversations in one night. But you know, I think he does prefer like longer, taller guys. You know, he he. One of the things he talked about there a lot was like Ben Wallace, and at the time Clifford Robinson was the other defender, and those are both kind of these like they would both be terrific in today's NBA because while they were like Ben Wallace was a little on the short side, but he did have long arms. He was really strong and he was freakishly agile as well. And so, you know, it, that could be part of what, uh, you know, Carl is thinking.
1: Um, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I can't pay him too much as a bad guy as just as far as his coaching, cool. like um he's especially now as the season's gone on, he's done some really good things. I think that, like, it's just very clear that he has a system and he wants it played his way. Like, um, like even with Sabonis earlier in the year, like, um, I mean, he's not a shooter like he does not. I mean, he's not he's not a good shooter. He doesn't really like shooting from three. Um, he's best with the ball in his hands, being able to make decisions, kind of running like the point for the team. And they've tried to play five out like most of the like at least half the season with him here. And it didn't work. Like, I mean, believe it or not, like if you play five out and you have, you don't have the actual personnel to do it, you're not getting guarded like it. And it was frustrating to watch. And it almost felt like in some ways he was like doing it like in spite of, you know, like, I mean, Rick's a smart guy. He knows how his team's getting defended. So it was like, um, it was, I don't know, like stuff like that has happened throughout the year. Uh, It's just kind of felt like he's not very content with the roster, Um, which I mean, clearly that that played out with how, how some of the trades went, but um yeah it's definitely been a weird year that's
0: that's one thing like because I mean but it's the stuff that I you hear about like him basically torpedoing Jamal Mosley who was his assistant for the Dallas job when you know he could have recommended him but basically he he decided that Jamal had some kind of you know was conspiring was angling for the job or something like that and so he torpedoed him and it's like you know,
1: come, what are we back. doing here, man? Like, come exactly. It's, no, it's some bullshit.
0: You can't be, I mean, you, you just can't do that. It's just so chicken shit. So, yeah. Um, so as long as we're talking about coaches, let's talk a little bit <laughs> about Wes on self. Ron uh, is not a big fan. Um, I got to say, I'm not the biggest fan, but Mark, what, what are you seeing? Like when you see the Wizards, um, what are you seeing? We, we touched on this when we talked earlier in the year. Uh, like the Wizards offense and the complexity and that kind of stuff. But I'm just curious, like what you see as sort of the, the outsider outside perspective, you know, not watching the team necessarily every game.
1: Yeah. um, I think I do want to say part of it is really tough because I feel like, I mean, some of this is on Tommy too. Like, I think it's hard to talk about coaching without talking about the front office. Um, Like this roster just doesn't make sense. Like I thought I wrote about coming into the year, how I thought, this was, least, they, they had like a unique point to jump off with. They had just a bunch of really quality NBA players, excuse me, or at least like guys who could, you could at least see roles for them. They're, they're they've, they've proven themselves in the NBA. You know, they could fit on a team. Um, I mean, I thought it was pretty clear that they needed consolidation trades like as quickly as possible because you you just can't have 13 guys who can all play on the same team. Eagle wise, it doesn't work. I mean, we saw that with this team. That's, that's been an issue. Um, but like even when Brad and Spencer were both healthy before Spencer got traded, like just didn't make sense. Like they were doing, they were running a ton of actions where Brad and Spencer were both off the ball. And I get it to a degree, like you can use the gravity of guys like that. But like, also, I mean, you pay those guys to be your primary options for a reason, like use them. You can't just like running stuff through Contavious Caldwell Pope, as much as they have has been like perplexing to me. Um, I mean, Kuz has been really good credit to him. Um, but, I mean, part of him coming on has been with Brad being out now. But, like, I just haven't really liked a lot of what they've done. Like, I get wanting to uh, to do some more of the high post-trigger man stuff. But, I mean, Gafford's come along a little bit as a passer. But, like, I mean, especially early in the season, um, I mean, he's throwing some just – his his ball placement is not very good. Um, I, that, that clearly didn't work. I thought it worked at times with Trez, but not – I mean, not to the level that you need to run it as often awesome as they have overall like I just think the offense has been kind of wonky and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me it's almost like I mean like you mentioned I think it's overly complex most of the time like they're trying to do too much just to get a simple action going when I think especially earlier in the year they had the personnel to just try and be free-flowing and they've never really done that
0: yeah yeah it's it's interesting because your point about the like you know running a lot of the high post triggers and you know having the big man out top as the sort of Decision maker doing dribble handoffs or skipping the dribble handoff and going to the next guy. Um, one of the th- one of the things that makes that work in a lot of places is when the big man has the ability, or whoever it is that's out there has that ability to just turn and shoot from three. And obviously Gafford can't do that. I mean, Gafford is three feet in, period. And uh, Trez is. He's not really that's not really his game. I mean he hit a few, a handful of jumpers out to maybe 18 feet this season, but he's not a shooter either. Thomas Bryant theoretically is, except he's got all kinds of problems as he comes back, where he's he's a terrible defender and um he's also not hitting not hitting threes. So you know that it's it's all sort of problematic. And your point about like running stuff through KCP is 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 a good one because it's puzzling. I mean, he's he doesn't have good ball handling. He's not a playmaker. It's like why would you put the ball in his hands as much as they do, other than just to be a catch and shoot guy, which is really what he does best. It's it is a little puzzling, that's for sure. But Rod, I think you've got some theories here. So
2: no, oh like uh, anything. I like again. I don't dislike West. I'm not a fan because his offense stinks. Basically, what you both are are pointing out, right and um, as a fan of the game, he has to understand like, okay, to win, we still have to outscore them. Doesn't matter if we play the best defense in the world. We give up two, if they score two points, and we only muster one, we're going to lose. And so yeah, we've been well. I I haven't. I've been tweeting out that uh, I think he needs an offensive coordinator, like bring in like an offensive mind to help him. Um, you know, to to at least have someone to, I guess, like barter with over, okay, if I do this on defense, how would you counter it? Because then it makes them both better. It it allows him to, okay, figure out some more complex defenses to throw off the offensive mastermind and conversely have the offense. Okay. This is what I'm going to use against a defense that I see. We don't get that. Instead, you know, as you both like alluded to, we get KCP to his credit, I, I don't know if they're necessarily like running it through him, but he's one of the only other guys on the team who can break down a defender off the dribble, and now other guys who can do it are a diminutive. And Ish Smith now, you know, he was if he could do a step back floater, he would have. He couldn't get to yeah. the paint. That's that's how limited he was. So uh, that's my knock on him, but it's all been rendered moot, moot because uh, Bill endorsed him today. Like Bradley, Bill came out and said he he did a great job. Uh, I guess navigating the collection of mid. Um, that we had in, on the team, and he's going to be back. Me personally, if I had billions and I was writing a check, I would have done what the Pacers did last year, one and done. Good job bringing someone else, but, you know, I'm not writing those checks. So that, that's what I think of him. Just he could tweak it, but right now it's, it's not really that good.
0: See, I'm not quite there with firing him yet. Oh, you're I'm, a nice I, guy. I wouldn't put it out. It would depend on who's available. And, you know, whether I thought I could get somebody to you know, is definitely an upgrade. Right. So th- that would be a factor. I mean, he is a first year head coach. He's been an assistant forever, obviously. Um, so, you know, That's- the theory was, of course, that he the, the fact that he'd been an assistant for so long would shorten his learning curve as a head coach. But, you know, every head coach, I guess, has got to have a, some kind of a, a learning process of how to how to do what they're going to do. And it's, it's impossible, like Mark was saying, to separate the coach from the players, from the front office. You know, the, the front office picks the players for them. And the Wizards, they just had this big collection of mid. I mean, you go down the roster and literally every player on the roster other than Beal to start the season, their best role is coming off the bench. And, you know, Kuzma is now to the level of, you know, he's, he's a decent starter level.
2: Third
0: star. No. He's, third star. 3A. He's, he's a little bit of, he's been over the last like 25 games or so, like a little bit better than an average starter, but not a lot better, right? So if he's your third best player, you know, you're probably like a 45-win team unless you've got Giannis as your best player, you know, that sort of thing. But um, if he's your fourth best player, you're fine, right? I mean, if he's your like fourth option, you, not option, that's not even the right word there, but if he's your fourth best player, you're pretty good. Um, but the Wizards have really no chance of that because, you know, Beal, even if he bounces back to borderline all-NBA level, um, and then Porzingis, whatever you get out of him, I mean, he can play. It's just, he's
2: He um, can't stay healthy.
0: He's always hurt, you know? Yeah. And so um, the basically the Wizards now have like probably two and you know two three starters and then the rest of their team is a bunch of guys who their best role is coming off the bench and being, uh-huh. being a bench guy and and i don't i'm not saying that as like an insult i'm just saying because those are important roles to have but those aren't the roles you necessarily want to be like you know great we've got our like you know our, our eighth guy locked down now we've, we've got all kinds of depth for the eighth guy um, our eighth best player you know a lot of competition for the eighth guy
2: you know hey hey mark he's he's uh he's planting trees to obscure the forest basically he's calling Denny and uh Rui mid, like that that's yes. that's the angle like I'll, I'll yeah I, I think
0: calling them mid is
2: generous bro. okay so that's his thing but well, I mean right now you you have to look at it so I, I went back and uh I looked at some some of the ninth picks because you, you need to compare people like if In analytics, you all have factors. And, like, if one factor I I wish people would take into consideration is, like, comparing them, like, apples to apples. Like, compare a ninth pick to a ninth pick. That's a better starting point. And when you look back, like, you look at Gordon Hayward. He didn't put it together into his fifth year. You look at uh, Kimball Walker. uh, He he started to get a year five, became an all-star year six. You look at Drummond. He's an aberration. He was an all-star, I think, in, like, year four. But that was in a very weak East. I think Pau Gasol was washed. Remember, no one wanted him on the West Coast, and he made All-Star starter. So um, that's that's an aberration. You look at Trey Burke. I argue, out young talent. They're they're going to have better careers than Trey Burke. Noah Vonley, we could skip past him. Um, <laughs> Frank Kaminsky. I thought
1: he was going to be good too. Yeah, yes. Frank
2: Kaminsky, we could skip past him. Pirtle, like Jacob Pirtle, Jacob Pirtle. He, you know, he he's solid, but he's playing for the best coach ever, in my opinion. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. You know, Carlisle, we were talking about him earlier, but still, he, he's not going to put it together. And then Kevin Knox. Oh, God. <laughs> like So, so like, you know, it's level to it. I'm just saying, like, let's, let's wait to, like, year five, because when, when you say Cool's is, like, right now, I think Kuz is our fifth, like, most talented player. Brad first, KP second, uh Denny third, Denny or Rui third or fourth, give or take, and then put who was there a fifth? And, you know, but that's just me. Like that, that's just my take on it. So that, that's what Kevin's really doing. He's like, we only have two starters. He, he doesn't, he doesn't like the young talent and he's not the only one. They're very vocal on this side of uh on wizards, Twitter. They is always who we passed up. Like we could have had list any player who had a good game that night. That's who we could have drafted instead of uh Denny and Rui. And it's just like, when you scale it back, I mean, I could pop, I could see Denny and Rui growing into like a Gordon Hayward type player, like or or something like close to it. Figuring it out by year five. One is in year two. One is in year what? Year three. This this is year three. So yes. yeah, like that. That's right now that they're coming off the bench now and they're learning. But anyway, I digress.
1: No, I uh, I do I really liked Denny this year. Like I think Denny's made some real strides. I know his box score is pretty similar to last year, but he's gotten a little bit more efficient. He's a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands. The defense has been really good. Like his defense is quality. I do wish that like he, the only thing I can't stand about him is that he like, and part of it is like, it's how his defense works for him. But like, he loves giving ground at the point of attack and just using his length to like bring somebody in and he'll shade them to the rim and he's good at it. But like, I want him to get stronger on, on, the ball defensively, but I mean, he's, he's good there. Um, I mean, he's, he's grown more as a ball handler. A lot. just like so much more would be unlocked from if he could shoot. And like if they could get anybody who can get him to shoot, that would be amazing. Because I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't I don't think he's going to get to a Hayward level, but if he could shoot like I mean, that's yeah. the same kind of player we're talking about. Like that's a guy who can like I mean, he's probably the best passer on the team or close to it. Like, he's got the best passing vision on the team that I can – like, I mean, Kuz has been fine as a passer, but, like, the, he's way overtaxed. I mean, other than Beal, I should say he's the best passer on the team. But that's also not saying much. But Rui <laughs> yeah. is, like – Rui is just an enigma for me, man. I really like Rui, but it's just – uh like I mean, the, he's shooting like mad this year, but he's not shooting that much anyways. Um, I, I like the, I mean, the face-up stuff is still really, really intriguing. I do think, like, as much as the defense as a whole sucks, like, he's a little bit better on the ball defensively. I feel like, um, but, but not by. I mean, that's that's not compared to where we were last year. It's not much, but like, yeah, he, he's better on the ball,
0: but man it's like yeah,
1: the I mean but but exactly like the off ball defense almost feels worse than last year like yeah. I mean part of that's probably being away for as long as he was but um he just still feels like a project and I know that's part of, of who he was coming in but like I mean just his overall feel for the game I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm not trying to be shitty Ron, but like his where he's I mean he's not close to a starter for me like I think <laughs> his he, he just does not have it all together like it, at least a starter on a good team i can't okay. i can't get there yet oh
2: fair like, enough and i'm again like i'm just saying like the people you compare him to like ninth picks of last yeah. year well, he's uh he's two seasons away and then you really you know you can't count this season then his first season was wiped out mm-hmm. you know so that's it like experience like more so than age matters but now Definitely. you're you're gonna laugh at this if, if my facial expressions were like your your analysis was fair. Kevin's about to go in, man.
1: Oh, I know Kevin hates Rui, but
2: no, I like Rui. I like
0: him as a person. I
1: just I would. I just hate his game. I hate everything that he does, other than talk. Yeah, like
0: I wish he was a better player.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's it,
0: and I mean that that's true of a lot of a lot of players. And where guys were picked doesn't doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once, you, once you get a couple of years in, I mean, what was Paul Pierce? I mean, he was a, what, a ninth pick, 10th pick, whatever. I think
1: it was 10th, yeah. Yeah, John
0: Stockton good. was picked, what, in the 20s. You know, Steve Nash was picked in the 20s. So they'll Treat, go back, way back you know was a solid NBA guard. He was a sixth round pick. They don't even have six rounds anymore.
2: Yeah, but those are exceptions though. Like like generally you picking someone ninth or tenth, you you're carving out a role for them. Like yeah. very frequently there's you know a top five star. You there expect always,
0: there are always guys who get picked outside of the top five. They're me. not
2: yeah always every, every year, year there's I mean, an exception. Jokic,
0: Jokic was a second round pick, Gilbert Arenas is a second round pick, Carlos Boozer was a second round pick. I mean you can go through. There's a lot teams. A lot more on stars,
2: one through five, though. There are a lot more stars pick one through five. That's so, really like, good. I'm with you, though. Like, it, it's, it's not, like, a big factor, but, like, if we want to compare our young talent, like, who?
0: But look at, look at, like, for example, look at Memphis, right? And Memphis, you know, you've got Desmond Bain. Where was he picked, like, in 30th. 20th, right? Yeah, 30th. 30th, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they've got John Morant picked second, but... You know, you get Bane. you've got... Um,
2: he Bain on Bain. Mark, he's on He's a really expected. productive
0: player. You know, they picked him, what, like 17th or 21st, right? He, he was in the 20s too. And so it's just like, you can get guys. Um, yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and at nine, yeah, I, I mean, I get the point. You know, a lot of times you are picking guys who end up being bowl players and that kind of stuff. But, you know, at nine, when they pick um, Abdia, for example, they could have picked Albert, you know, and they would have... You know they wouldn't have needed to go out and get Spencer Dinwiddie, for example.
2: He had bail though. Like uh, Halliburton coming out, just felt he was more of a combo guard. Like we spoke about this. It, why I mean, get him when you have it's Brad? A combo
0: guards together. So
2: no, I'm, I'm with you. Like I I would have picked no. Well, I wouldn't have picked Denny. I don't know who I would have picked because you you have to like place yourself in there. It just would not have been Denny. Well, but
0: I, mean, I, I I wrote ahead of time. I would have definitely picked that one
2: no, I'm with you. You love his game, and I love his game. I'm I'm excited to like second in that draft. So you
0: know, I like them from 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 John.
2: But think about it: if you're picking someone like top two, you're you're imagining him becoming a star. Like picking someone number two, you pick someone three. It's like Brad. It's my turn to be a star. Like so, these ninth picks, like in further down you go, are kind of slotted into roles. And I'm with both of you neither of them have played their role like they haven't become a star in their role right like so therefore it's like okay well they won't become a star and it's just like yo these later picks wait to year four year five typically pick up that pick up that fourth year option and then that's the year they know they're motivated to get paid on a fifth year like that that after the fourth year is over they're motivated to get paid and then typically that's when they start to blossom and I know, like, age matters a little bit more because it extends their prime. But, Kevin, you I think you told me most players' prime is, like, 26 to 29 or something like that. And that's about all right. guys – I'm sorry, what? What did you say? That's about right, yeah. All guys are uh, 23 and 21.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's why it's like, you know, I'm not saying, like, just cut them, right? I'm just saying – Get really, better at basketball. They haven't been that good yet. And so we're, we're kind of basically in the same position because what, I, what you just said is basically my position on these guys is they're just, they're just not that good yet.
2: I think they are. I, I think they haven't become stars in a role. I, I just think – but that's also oh, – yeah. like, like, like Denny got hurt last year.
0: Yeah, but he needs a ton of work on his game, especially his shooting. And, um, you know, same thing with, uh, with, with Hachimura, except Hachimura needs work on basically everything else. <laughs> Right, he shoots the ball pretty decently. But um, you know, he, he he's significantly overrated at it from mid range, but um his basically he needs work with everything else, including his motor, because you know yeah. you know, Beale said today that he uh, he plays hard, but uh, I respectfully disagree with that.
2: I don't see yeah, he, need, that, uh, he so needs much. Russ to get in his ass. Like Russ was tough on him, like to, well, to-
0: Westbrook to play hard, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's an inner dog in him. Like Maybe that's a Japanese ritual. You, you slowly, like, you know, it builds up, it culminates, and then when it's at its apex, boom, that's when a samurai is born. Like, he wouldn't call himself the Black Samurai, notwithstanding, like, you know, him being a Black Japanese guy. But to call yourself Black Samurai, you, you have to, like, feel you're special and deserving of it. Otherwise, people are going to talk shit about you. So I know there's a dog in him. I, it's just, I, I just wish we would see it um, a little more frequently
0: feels like it's going to come out like four years
2: in OKC or something like that. You know? <laughs> okay. That's usually what happens to us, Mark. Our players become better at champions when he leave. Yeah, that's right. That's what so
0: um, today, uh, we're recording this, by the way, on March 3rd. This is what the evening of March 3rd was today, Thursday, right? And Bradley right. Beal spoke this morning. And, you know, most of what he said was just kind of standard stuff. But one of the things that he did say was, um, somebody asked the question, it was a hell of a question, but um, if it was fair to say that he was leaning towards re-signing the Wizards, and Beale said that it was fair to say that, and so, um, Mark, let's go to you first, like, what are your thoughts on that, I mean, from Beale's perspective, obviously, yeah, of course, it's $246 million, but um, yeah, just curious, like, what uh, what you what you think about Beal, the situation there with the Wizards, and contract yeah
1: um yeah when I saw that this morning I guess I wasn't super surprised because a I mean he's not gonna just come out and be like yeah I'm not gonna resign here um but definitely like the the wording like he could have said you know like I mean he had even just like a month ago he'd been kind of more like you know we'll see um so this is definitely a course change um I guess from my perspective like I've always felt that Beal was kind of an underrated player in some ways like I I always thought that um I mean, the, the defense was absolutely abhorrent in the 18-19 season, but other than that, like, it's been, like, just, like – I mean, it's been not great, but it's not been, like, the historic levels of bad I think just painted as. Um, and, I mean, people just don't realize how good of a passer he is. Like, the, the playmaking is for real with him. Like, he's not somebody who I think should lead your entire offense, but, like, part of that's been because of Washington that he's had to lead the entire offense. Like, um, I do think it is hard to hold the last – uh few years against him in terms of just like actual production because he's I mean he's not supposed to be your number one guy like or at least I mean I think he can be your number one scorer but your number one ball handler number one playmaker like he, he can't be that guy like that's if you want to be a really good team um, I just question what I mean like how does Washington actually put that team around him on this contract like I think you can make the case like you know you just pay him because he is a top 15, top 20 player. And I get that. Um, But it is tough because I just don't know, like, like kind of like what I wrote about with the beginning of the season. uh, Like this is the year where Washington kind of figures out their direction. And um, it almost feels like they haven't really gotten any closer to it after how everything's gone. It feels like to me, it almost feels like signing Beal would be a little bit of a, a half measure, but it's kind of tough because they made the KP trade. And not that that solidifies anything. I thought it was fine. You know, you're getting off. Um, Bertanza's money and, and then Woody's money. And you're that those clearly were not working for internal reasons, too. And, um, so there's more nuance to that. I think it's thrown around, but I just don't know how you make this team that much better with, with what you have right now. Um, and, and still build around Beal. Like, even if, let's say, everything really hits and Chris Stapps is healthy next year and, and he somehow regains a little bit of mobility, um, and looks a little bit better defensively. Um, and the three comes back for him. So you're already conflating a lot of factors. Like, and let's say, you know, Beal is healthy too, and his shot comes back, which I think will. Like, I don't, I'm not really that worried about that. At least he back to like 33 or 34%. But even then, like, okay, is, is Denny taking a big jump and he can actually be a starter? Is Rui doing something for you? Like, is Gafford finally going to be allowed to play more than 18 minutes per game? Like, I still think he should be playing more. Like, I that's one of my least favorite things this season has been the way that Gafford's been handled. Like, he is a good player like it just it's it's very frustrating but um point being like even if all that stuff pops like what's that like a 45 win team so i i don't know like it's it's a conundrum man and i i don't really i don't get as heated about contracts as i think some people do i think get good players and figure it out from there but obviously money does play a factor and if you're not ready to actually be a competent team i don't i don't know like and i think with this team has never actually taken a chance to rebuild um but I also would imagine with how Ted Leonsis is and, uh, you know, how long Tommy Shepard's been here already, they probably do not have the option to rebuild, I would assume, unless Ted Leonsis signs off on it. So, I don't know, it was incredibly nuanced and annoying. I didn't really give an answer. But, uh, I mean, I imagine they're going to re-sign him. Uh, it's either going to be a re-sign or a sign-and-trade. Uh, because if they let him walk, that would be massively terrible.
0: Yeah. So, my theory on it is that Beal will re-sign with the Wizards. The Wizards definitely want him. Um, mm-hmm. but there's no question about that. I don't. I mean, it would take a tremendous sea change for them to like suddenly say to Beal, you know what? We're not going to offer you the max, <laughs> right? Um, my theory is that Beal will take it, um, and that he'll he'll play out. I think that his like long term um, best interests are all predicated on staying in Washington. You know, I think if he's if he resigns, takes the maximum even if the team never wins, he'll make the, you know, for the rest of his life I- until he's 80 years old, he'll, he'll make a living off of the Washington Wizards, um, whether that's being, you know, a future general manager, a future coach, a future broadcaster, you know, whatever it is that he wants to do, I think he'll be able to do that within this organization. And so, you know, if I was advising him for sure, I would say s- s- stick it out in Washington unless, you know, he just can't stand the loser which I, I don't get that sense.
1: He's already been here for this long, man. Like I, yeah. It's,
0: I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, he, there's no place else he can go where he is the man, where it's his team. you know. And, it's and it team.
1: seems really important to him too. Like he likes it. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. I, I, it's a business. I mean, his, he, he can basically set up generational wealth and he can set up basically the rest of his life as living. Like, you know, the icon of the Washington Wizards franchise. And, uh, you know, again, if I was advising him, I mean, if I was in his spot, I would take the money and I would take that long-term security and I would try to be the good guy in the community. I'd be giving out turkeys every Thanksgiving and, you know, organizing clothes drives and creating a foundation and, you know, all that kind of stuff to benefit, you know, kids in Washington or whatever, you know, something in DC. And I would definitely just like cement my my position there in the city. I mean that that would be me. Now, that said, if I were the Washington Wizards, I would trade him 2 years ago. Because, you know, I think that Beal I get what your your point, Mark, about Beal being underrated in terms of like his skills, you know, the kind of player he theoretically could be. I think he also it's weird because I'm about to say he's kind of overrated at the same time in that you know, the the and the problem is is that the team overrates him in, in that yeah. really put him into that like upper echelon of like where they're relying on him in a way that, that a team, say, would re- rely on LeBron or Giannis or, um, you know, Steph Curry, you know, those kinds of guys. And he's not that guy. He's, yeah, he's a very good player. He's not a great one. And so, um, I, I, like I said, I would have made that deal a couple of years ago. To maximize the return, and at this point, it almost feels like it's probably too late to get maximum value for him. Um, so that, it. Ron, you look like you got something to say.
2: Yeah, no, my my thing is, oh, I well, he's gonna resign. Um, you know, great skilled offensive players like that uh, don't fall into our lap. And then when Kevin mentioned a couple of weeks back that he can be like the cornerstone of like the Washington Wizards, the face of the franchise. First, I was a bit uh, quizzical because I'm a Gilbert Arenas fan. Um, I grew up under I grew up under Gilbert. Um, I'm I'm too young to to have ever seen Wes Onso play. So it was it was Gilbert. And then Jordan, we knew he was he's a bull. Like, you know, you, it's like LeBron's a calf. He's not a Heat, you know, it, those type of things. Um, but Bill can do it. You know, he's never gotten into any of the off uh, off the court trouble shenanigans that, um, you know, John Wall and Gilbert Arenas used to do. And no one else. Those are the only two players like you can say are on his like on par with him skill wise, because he's way more skilled than all those guys who came before him. That's evolution. because could chalk that up to evolution. Um, so with that said, I know they're going to pay him. And I just. When you all say build around them, I, I think they're doing it down. Like our best season, we're kind of replicating that uh, in a modern version. Instead of Marcin Gortat, we now have Christoph Porzingis if he stays healthy. Instead of Markeith Morris, um, or, or you can say O Otto, depending on whatever you want to put, whoever you want to put it, we have Kyle Kuzma, who well, a little tall, a little bit better, slightly maybe better, but we have that. Okay, not as better, so he says. Oh, I, I think he's
1: better. He'll at least fucking I mean, shoot, man. I mean, like,
2: well, so well, Otto, here's the thing,
0: though. I mean, look, we don't need to litigate Otto Porter, but um, Otto, especially towards his, in his final season with the team, you know, when he in his best season with the team, his usage rate was around like, you know, 18, 19%. And um, he was hyper efficient. He shot three extremely well. Rebounded well and was a terrific defender. You know, I know there's a lot of debate about. He that. was
1: pretty good. I, I will say he was pretty good, but it was always maddening when he would not shoot. Man, like yeah, he, he was the guy, the guy like he could have taken 15 shots a game and I would have been happy with it. He's like
0: yeah, yeah. But. And and he was actually like um, a, a really good mid range shooter as well. You know, Otto was just a good shooter from everywhere.
1: And- I mean, hey, man, yeah, I'm a Georgetown fan, so I trust me. I know, I know the Otto Porter truth. Like- uh, Last I, so, yeah, I shouldn't have brought up the original, me, man. I'm dead now. Yeah, but
0: total impact of like auto Porter, you know, at his best season against Kuzma at his best season, I would say auto comes out ahead because better better you know better
2: defending. Fair enough, but but we're still we're still building that, right? Like and if this year, you know, a lot of the fan base want Jade and Ivy. Um, I'm with you, Mark. Like let Bill, let Bill run a point. Like let's find someone else to you know, fill his role as scorer. So I I think we are building around him. Again, it's just uh, we're going to have to ask him to uh, transfigure, um, you know, borderline good players into better. We're going to have to ask him to, like, lift them up uh, and become better. And I don't know if he can do it with the broken wand of players like Tommy uh, gives him. Like, how do you make magic with a broken wand? But we're going to pay him. I think we are building around him. Like, we've never had a Kristaps Porzingis type player in dc like we have a unicorn we have something truly like special that the world hasn't seen before theoretically if he's uh if he if he's able to uh bounce back that's not. the
1: problem that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so always
2: the the, the but right like like if or like the condition like yeah can he bounced back Well, you know what I'm, I'm leaning these players have the best health care um, these players get the best nutrition. I'm just hoping, you know, like all of our bodies, if we diligently take care of them, uh, we heal. The further we get away from an injury, the stronger we become. Because like that niche, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I'm hoping all of that comes true. And unlike that, our best seasons, we have a bench because, as Kevin said, uh, you know, we have. Have any, they, they, that's all we have right now. So like, <laughs> you know, these players pick up. We have a bench, so we're solid. Uh, I think we're building I, I would just like to see us uh, maybe get another, sh- like, some more shooting. We have Corey Kispert, uh, maybe another shooter to put on. So when we go, you know, five outlet, Bill attack, you know, we can we can hit them. I dare you to help with the, you know, one of the top skilled players in the game. Now, yeah, I ask for last. Pay of- okay for Davis Bertans. No, no, I hate Davis Bertans. That's the only <laughs> player in the NBA I'll negatively talk about. He's not good. He's just tall. He's a six ten guy. Oh, and he can shoot. He, he's a very great shooter. other players can do his job but the last thing last point on on his contract um i'm never going to tell someone you know don't get all the money you want and you deserve especially when it's like a back tax um because you know when when brad was having his best season and blossoming like all around the world getting like coaches being ridiculed for not building him as an all-star replacement um ryan anderson was a berkeley dude so shout out him ryan anderson was making more money than bradley bill in no world should Ryan Anderson make more money than Brad Bill. He's a far superior player. So a lot of these players, you know, that super max or these, like, overpaid contracts is because, you know, they didn't get that value when they, like, honestly deserved it. So it works as a back tax. So, yeah, we're going to pay them, and we're going to be mid-48 wins. Here we come. First round exit. 48 would be, bad. man.
0: Not sure how, how people would deal with 48. I think people would be excited
2: with that. Like, Mark, they started saying we were going to the championship and posting, like, uh, boy, they said West, like, Dinwiddie was better than. I took notes on them all. I'm going to write it all <laughs> up at the end of the year. I have a great story coming. Like, I, they said the most crazy things. If we went 48 games, like, Vegas is going to make so much money off of uh, Wizards fans placing bets that they get to the Eastern Conference final. Mark my words yeah
1: I'll i mean them. They, they could be nice next year like I, I don't think that they're gonna be a bad team next year like i mean nice relatively like it's it, it's all dependent but
0: 48 um, wins so my my thought on that and i've said this before on the podcast and i wrote it as well when they when they traded for porzingis, is that one thing that i love about the view is that they traded some guys that don't want in exchange for some variability right so if porzingis plays 70 games for some freak reason, right? If he plays 70 games and he plays, say, as well as he did in Dallas this season, which was, you know, would be basically like all-star level.
2: All-star. Right?
0: right? So if he plays at that level and he plays 70 games, the Losers could win 48 games, sure. 45, 48, somewhere in there. Um, and if he plays 35 games, you know, then maybe they win 30 Right, not all 35 that he plays, but you get my point, is that they could win 35. And so there's some some more variability. Basically, they've increased the range of, of potential outcomes that they can have because for the first time since you know John Wall started getting hurt, the Wizards have a couple of guys who have the potential to produce at an all-star level in Beal and Porzingis. And, and Kuzma. And Rui. Beal and Porzingis, and the list ends there. <laughs> oh. You know, Rui is, you know, if he improves a bunch, he's at least like three years away from being that level. low. So, okay. um, my point being, though, that they've introduced some variability. They, they, they can get a little higher on the high end, I think, if Porzingis stays healthy and productive. And Beal sort of bounces back to his previous form this year. Obviously, it was a down year for him, even before he got hurt. And you know, then again, if 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 Beal gets hurt, if Porzingis gets hurt, you know the team will stink, and they'll get a draft pick, and you know, a, you know, a high lottery pick potentially, and maybe they they get their their future kick started in that way. So you know, it's on and on that basis, I like the deal. I mean, I don't love the deal for Porzingis, but I think it's the kind of shot they should take. You know, it's the kind of chance they should be taking.
1: Yeah, I mean after. I mean, like, I can't really call this the, the Dinwiddie deal a fuck up. Like, that I thought that was a good signing. Shit happens. It's like, that's when you're mind. fine with the Breton's deal a was a fuck up, a hardcore yeah. fuck up. So, like, as far as like getting a player who might, like, like you mentioned, like, if things really go right, Porzingis can play at an all star level. So, I think in terms of like making a deal out of the shit that you, you made yourself, like, it's pretty yeah. good. So, yeah. With, with
0: Dinwiddie, you know, my thought on that. Is, you know, he was a career backup and the Wizards acquired him to be a starter and not just to be a starter, but really to be like their second best player. And, you know, at least in my analysis, he had never really been much better than average and, you know, like league average, not even like average starter level. So I thought that they were asking a lot of him, especially coming off of an ACL injury where he missed, you know, basically an entire season. But, um, Anyway, um, I think we're coming up on our time here. So any parting shots before we wrap up?
1: No, I, I just appreciate you guys having me on. This is a blast.
0: Yeah, I don't have anything. All right, cool. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people follow you and read your stuff?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at mschindlerNBA. It's M-S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R-N-B-A. Um, I post everything there. I, I, I write over at basketballnews.com uh, and... Like a, a bunch of other freelance sites as well, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was a fun time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I just put in my plug, uh, Read Mark stuff. It's it's illuminating. I mean, I, I appreciate that. Like I said, I was a big fan of Terry Taylor. I became even a bigger fan from reading Mark stuff because the breakdown was just really good. I especially love the part about screening the videos that came in. I mean, there's one section in there where he he had video of uh, Terry Taylor just torturing Chris Middleton. With screens and never even made contact. I mean, it wasn't it, what they were moving screens. There was no illegal contact, and he just wore Middleton out. With uh, it was
1: pretty awesome. Yeah, that was one of my favorite favorite things I've seen this was year.
0: That clip. I mean, that was a great find. and uh, it's kind of reason why I really like that. Guy. So, anyway, we're gonna wrap up there. Again, thanks, Mark, for for joining us, and uh, we'll be back with future episodes. So